This is Art Matters. I'm Farron Gibson. This series is produced by Art UK, the online home of the UK's public art collections. Explore art from collections across the nation at artuk.org. I'd like to ask that if you enjoy listening to this series, wherever you listen to this series, could you please head over to our iTunes page and leave a rating and review? We'd love to hear your feedback. Let's talk about camp. No, I'm not speaking of tents and roasting marshmallows. I'm talking about the camp aesthetic, a term that seems a bit tricky to pinpoint. It's a a huge shifting range of things, really, but it's known for being something which is completely over the top, quite gaudy, perhaps, maybe a little bit kitsch, a little bit tacky. Um, But, you know, certainly it's generally understood as a mode of enjoyment and a taste for excess. And there's a lot of parody and self-parody in it and a, a real sort of knowing sense of wit and fun, I think. That's Zorian Clayton, Prince Curator at the Victoria and Albert Museum in London. It's likely that if you ask three different people to define what camp means, you get three different explanations. So we're going to start our conversation with a foundation of exploring the etymology of the term. The term is first used in 1671 in a Moliere play called Le Fourberry de Scapin, where I think a young uh, aristocrat is told to sort of go in the disguise for some reason. And so the term comes up as um, to camp about on one leg, uh, put your hand on your hip and strut like a comedy king is the sort of tra- translated excerpt of it. And then it crops up again intermittently so that's in France it crops up again in France in uh, 1863 with Théophile Gautier who is best known I suppose for writing the sort of gender fluid uh, character of Le Mademoiselle de Maupin which is a very uh, camp in itself as well and uh, fabulous but he uh, used it in 1863 with a translated quote to present oneself in an expansive but flimsy manner like a tent with overtones of theatricality vanity, dressiness, and provocation. And then it makes its way into the dictionary for the first time, into the Oxford English Dictionary in 1909, meaning ostentatious, exaggerated, affected, and then a second meaning, theatrical, effeminate, or homosexual. So then this is the first time sort of on paper, if you like, you know, this linking between a theatricality, a flamboyance, and homosexuality really and gay culture and which is very highly linked in you know the theatre world with Polari and that kind of gay language which is also used by theatre people which is around you know just very much in use at this time as well in the early 20th century. Prior to speaking with Zorian, Camp made me think of things like the Wizard of Oz which seems quite disconnected from the term 17th century origins. This speaks to the challenge of defining a term that dramatically evolves from era to era. At any given point, camp both stands out from and typifies the visual culture of the period. Zorian pointed to some other modern examples where we can view this dynamic. I think uh, today the world of RuPaul crossing into the mainstream (laughs) with this extremely over-the-top drag and pageant style and lots of kitsch referencing to, um, you know, all the great Hollywood stars gone by of the golden age, you know, people like Mae West and Tallulah Bankhead and TV stars of now who are being, you know, this is drag queens going all the way back 
to um, these kind of camp icons of Hollywood, but at the same time, they're mimicking Beyonce and, um, you know, all the TV stars of now like Oprah and kind of making those people camp as well. And it's crossing over very much, bringing that camp drag culture, which has long time been underground, uh, very much into the mainstream and attracting straight audiences. But that's not so much a new thing. Like if you think about somebody like Liberace, who's rather, uh, you know, a, a king or queen of, uh, of camp, if you like, his uh, main audience was, um, you know, heterosexual, retired older ladies. Some histories of camp only extend back to the 19th century, but it has deep roots in France, particularly with figures like Philippe I, Duc d'Orléans, and brother to the Sun King who built the Palace of Versailles. I think camp people have always um, loved um, the 17th century court. That has been uh, said before, just because men were very preening, often more uh, decoratively dressed than women, and all these kind of silk tights and massive silk ribbons on shoes and heels, huge powdered wigs and all the makeup, and also all of the uh, extreme etiquette regulations that went with it. Not long after this period, we see the emergence of the Rococo movement in art. It's characterized by gold trims and pastel candy floss textures. Thematically, we see artists like Fragonard, who specialize in scenes of beautiful excess and indulgence, characteristics that come to be associated with the camp aesthetic. Rococo is quite naughty as well, like there's a lot of paintings by people like uh, Boucher and Fragonard and those kinds of really sort of frou-frou, uh, ridiculous scenes with like the lady on a swing kind of thing and the absolute over the top, the gold, the halls of mirrors. When you go to somewhere like Versailles and everything is gold, gilded, clad and mirrored and the, you know, the excess of that and the luxury of that. But interestingly, there's a lot of uh, great art history scholars who see it in a different way, you know, who see it as the height of of good taste and things. So there's all, there's a, a lot of interesting ground where I think different ideas can overlap. In the late 19th and early 20th century, connections to camp can be found in Art Nouveau. The movement spanned fine and decorative arts and is typically characterized by natural curved forms and stark outlines. In some ways, it was an ornate amalgamation of styles including Rococo and Pre-Raphaelitism, amongst others. At points, artists associated with other movements dipped an exploratory toe in the camp waters, and there are exhibitions featuring Art Nouveau works by artists like Georges Seurat and Pierre Bernard. Aside from its highly decorative nature, the movement can be tied to camp through a particular person. There's a very interesting figure called Robert de Montesquieu Fezinzac, so another aristocratic figure who was a great patron of the arts in Paris in the late 19th century. And he was a very high camp figure. He was very good friends with Sarah Bernhardt and lots of the theatrical people. But he is thought by some to be the person who invented Art Nouveau in that he was a patron of many different artists working in Paris at the time and that he funded, he basically described what he wanted for his home and they created it. So he wanted these very sinewy, languid kind of lines and then all the 
series, you know, the the great Art Deco uh, website, Great Art Nouveau Artists, started to produce, and then it took off, and Paris was very much a, a centre of this style in the you know eighteen eighteen eighties. So you know he is often slightly written out of some of the histories of of Art Nouveau and where it originates from and you know it very much is the story of a a melting pot city like um, Paris and in its time uh, and lots of artists sort of forging new ways to express themselves and new styles. Then there's that blurry point where kitsch and camp collide exemplified by the pop art movement. It's nostalgic yet current, tacky yet stylish. It's an aesthetic of dualities. A lot of that playing with kitsch, and that's very camp, it can be viewed very camply. And it has a sense of fun about it and an inherent humour and relationship to the mainstream, I think, that really has been where queer culture has overlapped with the straight world, if you like, and made more progress because it's something that we can all enjoy, if you like. There's like a common ground there that um, obviously is appealing right across the board in, in many different ways. A thread that ran throughout my discussion with Zorian was Kemp's strong connection to fashion. Indeed, it's the theme of the 2019 Met Gala, which is a clear indication of its importance within the fashion world. There was a designer who is mentioned in some of the camp books. Uh, he was called Louis Hippolyte uh, Leroy, who uh, set the trends for Napoleonic France. So he created that low bust line that's called the Empire bust line for uh, Napoleon's wife. And he was considered to be a very high camp figure. So, you know, it's, it's these people behind the scenes that you often find and of course throughout fashion so many of the great couriers of not just the 20th century but you know going back to people like Le Roy um, but all of you know Charles James and Karl Lagerfeld and Versace uh, you know it's it's camp heaven you know and also the whole world of fashion and the extreme characters who are created by by it or who rule it or who run it you know um, that front row of the catwalk in Paris Fashion Week and stuff, that can be read in a very camp way. And indeed it has. I mean, look at uh, Absolutely Fabulous and the way that they have very easily played with it, for example, and just racked it up a notch and make it extremely camp. One of the most notable intersections of camp and fashion is the idea of the dandy, which is preceded by the lesser known macaroni. So the macaroni is a bit of a precursor to the dandy. The dandies are, yeah, the, are best typified by characters like Beau Brummel and indeed Oscar Wilde. It's kind of, you know, aesthetic sense, which has its links back then to the to that 17th century court. You know, the, the macaroni and the dandies would be wearing corsets and uh, perhaps a little bit of makeup and really thinking about their silhouettes and they're very richly caricatured throughout the 18th and 19th century prints. There's two key figures, I suppose. Horace Walpole would be would be one. We're very lucky to have quite a lot of uh, collections which he owned uh, in the V&A, um, which people can come and see. And also Strawberry Hill uh, in London is an absolutely 
fabulously camp place to visit, uh, in my opinion, is this kind of gothic treasure trove. And he was part of a group of men who were really tastemakers of the time in the 18th century and had a fabulous taste and many, many meetings about, you know, what is good taste and ordering furniture and things from Europe to come to join their collections. And they were known as the great finger twirlers, or that was what he was called at one point, which is sort of, you know, camp gestures of the hand and also this absolute commitment to taste and connoisseurship is you know quite uh camp you know can be viewed in this camp way as well and then somebody who comes a little bit later is William Beckford who was ousted from polite society he was a very very wealthy man in the late 18th early 19th century and he got most of his wealth from plantations in fact uh, but he was um, caught in flagrante with a young man and cast out of polite society like he wasn't he was still re- retained his wealth but he wasn't really allowed to go he wasn't really invited to, uh, to all the parties anymore but he kept these scrapbooks which were all about stories in the newspaper about cross-dressers or uh, things that had been going on at the Vauxhall Pleasure Gardens like these fabulous masquerade balls that they'd have there in the late 18th century where um, there would be lots of gay goings on, lots of men dressed as women and lots of sort of high camp activity and he would save clippings and you know notices that were um, related to that sort of thing which are held in the, the British Library I think. And then you know the same can be said then going into the 1920s and 30s with um, people like the bright young things, Cecil Beaton's set, if you like, um, again, quite wealthy money at their disposal, but really the sort of drivers behind a lot of the, the taste and the style and the fashions of the age. Traditionally, red carpet events have been a place for women to shine. Ladies could go for captivating Hollywood glamour in the vein of Elizabeth Taylor, or could arrive in an avant-garde art piece a la Lady Gaga. With the camp theme for this year's Met Gala, I find that I'm more intrigued to see how the men will interpret the camp look. Will they draw on 17th century portraiture, or might they look to more contemporary models like artist Grayson Perry? I would love to see some men go for the 17th century court style and rock uh, pale pink silky tights and a bit of corsetry, male corsetry. They should, some of them should employ Mr. Pearl, absolutely. I hope some of them have. Uh, Mr. Pearl made a lot of corsets and costumes for Lee Bowery. So perhaps we'll see some Lee Bowery influences there, who, of course, um, was a high camp uh, personage who has uh, very much influenced a lot of the, well, the club kids of today, if you like, and the more kind of outrageous styles of drag and performance arts so yeah maybe a bit of lee maybe some of those unusual uh face coverings like he used to do with the masks masks are quite camp um, yeah i don't know they're gonna they're gonna have their work cut out for them because it they there'll be a lot of very challenging and exceptional garments i'm to be sure as you can see camp is a broad term and is slightly subjective based on your own personal tastes I'll leave you with one last definition. Mae West, of course, is another fabulous figure of the 1920s. And she said, camp is where they impersonate me, which is interesting. So, you know, it's often very 
considered to be very much a gay male thing but in fact it's built on the legendary women of of our cultural past if you like so you know Mae West was very aware of that and she wrote some fabulous aggressive plays that were banned at the time I think one of them was called Drag so you know this culture that we have now that's a lot of things that people think are quite new in fact have extraordinary roots going going right back That's it for today's episode, exploring the camp aesthetic. Many thanks to my guest, Zorian Clayton, who is truly a font of knowledge on this subject. If you liked this topic, you may also enjoy the previous episode discussing art and RuPaul's Drag Race. Keep an eye out for the Met Gala on the first Monday in May and tweet us at artuk.org, spelling out the word dot, with how you think the stars have interpreted some of the historical looks we've discussed today. As always, thank you for listening and please join us again next time.